Hello and welcome to our podcast named Detours. This podcast embraces the unexpected twists and turns that shapes the journeys of our lives that God sends us down. I'm your host and fellow traveler, Mike. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Deb, and we invite you to join us on this exploration of uncharted territories we encounter along the way. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode. Welcome to season number three. I am here with my beautiful wife, Deb. Hi, guys. We are super excited. We hope you enjoyed season number two. Season number three, we are starting our first episode. We're going to do something a little bit different this year. Similar, uh, but different for sure. Uh, We're going to spend this season and definitely future seasons going through Uh, different characters from the Bible that we relate to tremendously that went through different detours themselves that um, we can just pull from because these stories are thousands of years old. And they're still relevant. Completely relevant. Yeah. Uh, And we, what what we love to do is bring context to different things. I think that's one of the uh, elements that Deb and I love to do. We'll go down rabbit trails to try (laughs) and understand culture and language and all sorts of things so when we say that we're doing a character and it's a character that you you know and love if you're a well-seasoned christian we hope that you still get fed because we're going to be bringing a lot of information towards you guys Uh, and if you're newer to the faith uh, don't worry, we're, we're not going to get all philosophical and, and oh, we're say not? a bunch, I'm not capable of doing that, Okay, <laughs> but uh, we, we will uh, introduce stories to you uh, so that you guys can at least follow along, um, and as a matter of fact, we're going to start off with a story that uh, any seasoned Christian knows very, very well, uh, Deb, this is a, a character that's near and dear to your heart. She is. Uh, The she that we're referring to is in John chapter 4. I believe technically we're going to start in verse 5, but we're probably going to reference verses 3 and 4 a little bit. Uh, But this is the story of a woman at a well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, this has been done many a times and and talked about many different times and, and on television and all sorts of things. But this is a woman that uh, definitely has an amazing story was a story that was written 2,000 years ago and is absolutely relevant today. Oh, yeah. It speaks to God's character and how he pursues. Absolutely. Um, So let's let's begin, I guess, by talking a little bit about, I guess, sort of setting the stage. Okay. So um, hopefully everyone out there knows Jesus uh, is a Jew. And the woman at the well is a Samaritan. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot going on there. Those two cultures do not like one another. Deb, what what do you want to talk through on that? Oh, there's a great cultural divide happening between the Samaritan and the Jews. And uh, you even see it in the disciples as... They get angry and want to rain fire down on, you know, from heaven when they enter into a Samaritan village. There's just a lot of animosity between these two um, groups of people. And I, I think if we just kind of summarize it, I mean, we want to welcome people to really understand the history of how this started. But to keep it somewhat short, um, you know, the the kingdom is divided into two tribes of the north and ten on the south. And the northern tribe decides to, um, you know, they're conquered by the Assyrians and the Assyrians really start to bring in their idols and their false gods and they intermarry with the Jews and their worship starts to become very idolatrous. And so there's a lot of like, hey, you're a half breed. You don't worship Yahweh the way, you know, God is commanding us to do in the law. And uh, we don't want anything to do with you. And there's a lot of animosity, even as they come to like, you know, hey, we want to rebuild the temple and the Samaritans are offering to help. And they're like, yeah, no, we don't, we don't want your help. We don't want anything to do with you. So it's a very volatile situation uh, in the culture between Jews and Samaritans, so much so that like going through Samaria to get to other parts of the region is probably the fastest, most direct route. And the Jews would go 
all the way around Samaria just to avoid being in the presence of other Samaritans. So there's 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 some hate going on for and, sure. And and that's why the term good Samaritan is still known to this day yeah. everywhere. People if you say hey you are a good Samaritan everyone knows what that's referencing. Isn't that amazing? Even if they're not a Christian, that term is still used today to talk about a, a person of goodwill towards another. It's amazing. Yeah, and even you know, there, there's an organization out there, Samaritan's Purse, mm-hmm. that is deeply rooted in the Christian uh, community that is still out there to this day. Um, but again, the, that was a situation where a Jew was basically beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road, and a Samaritan who should, in theory, according to his culture and so on and so forth, should just continue walking, yep. doesn't. He stops, he, he picks up this man, takes him to an inn, pays the bill and says, look, if there's anything left over on my way back through, mm-hmm. I will pick up the remainder, make sure this man is is taken care of. Um, so, so you have a tremendous amount of animosity between these two sides, between right. um, the, the Jews and Samaritans. So that that's one element. Mm-hmm. Then you have male versus female. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I don't use that lightly saying versus. Um, it is a, a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman. Right. Where in the culture back then, men were seen, um, or at least they thought of themselves uh, often as superior to females. Oh, absolutely. Um, Jesus absolutely rebukes that, but um, that's that's the way that culture was. Women were property. Women were second-rate citizens. They were not allowed to own property. They, If they were unmarried, that was almost a death sentence for them because they couldn't support themselves. They couldn't survive. And they were looked upon as being less than. I think there was an old Jewish prayer, thank God I'm not, you know, a woman, is how it ended one of the prayers. I'd have to find the actual prayer, but... Um, it was like being a woman was not an easy thing for sure. You know, I think women think they have it hard now. It's like, you have no idea what these women 2000 years ago went through just to survive. So the story begins more or less in John chapter four, verses five. We're, again, we're going to quickly reference some things in verses three and sure. four, but it begins in, in verse five, uh, which sets the scene. It, it is this land of Jacob. Um, there's this well mm-hmm. on the land of Jacob, and it talks about how it's the sixth hour. That's the middle of the day. Right. That, that is not, yeah, that, that's not 6 a.m. Uh, that is that is early afternoon. Right. In the heat of the day in, in the desert. So just put yourself there. You think Florida's hot. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And so... Jesus is sitting at this well. He's sitting there waiting. Mm-hmm. And up walks this Samaritan woman to draw water. Right. She goes there alone because she's clothed in shame. She doesn't want to deal with other women. She's been married multiple times. She's currently in a relationship where she is not married. So she is in open, active adultery. Um. She doesn't, she's not welcome. Even if she wanted to come in the cool of the morning, she is not welcome there. She is outcasted and she knows it. And so she is walking that long journey in the heat with these two heavy, heavy clay pots, one on either side of her to get there and sweat her butt off to get some water so she doesn't have to see anybody. And here is a Jew sitting at a well. And, and you often talk about how you relate to that element of yeah. her. So everyone, hopefully you guys listened to season one, which was part of Deb's testimony of being married a couple times before I met her, yep. um, having a, a child out of wedlock at a very young age. So shame is something that you relate to. Oh, yeah, very much so, unfortunately, you know. And being outcasted and not having a place where I fit. I mean, it, yeah, to tell, just talk about 
the transition, the changes in your life when you became pregnant at 17? Uh, 18. 18. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Walk, I, I certainly know it, 18. but um, the, the audience may not have heard, you know. Season one. Yeah, I don't remember if we went into like your change in school and and just all sorts of things where shame was absolutely a part of that. Yeah, I mean, even my my own parents were like, hey, we're going to tell the family that you're married and, uh, you know, you got pregnant. And I was like, you're going to do what? No, you're not telling them I married this man. He didn't want to marry me. You're certainly not putting a lie in my closet. I said a skeleton in my closet, but they were they were ashamed that um, you know, I was in 11th grade and um so yeah, I was 17 turning 18 and I was I was knocked up as they put it, you know? And I had to decide, am I going to finish high school? Am I going to go to school and walk down, you know, the classroom aisles big and pregnant? I don't think so. Um, Yeah, so I found a a new school to go to that was specific for pregnant teens and basically said to my mom, hey, I'm either dropping out or you're sending me to this school. But there was a lot of like, I didn't have a a group anymore. I wasn't the girl that was going to go to prom and homecoming and watch football games. And that wasn't my life anymore. And um, yeah. And for probably the vast majority of people are listening, if you don't know the South Florida culture, (laughs) oh my goodness, it is a difficult place to grow up, to say the least. Uh, Miami is often described as a sunny city for shady people. There is Is that what it's really? Yeah, absolutely. That's spot on. Oh my goodness. Yes, it it is uh, a flashy, expensive car driving. Yeah. If you don't have a boat, what what can you do for me environment? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it, people are very judgmental. Yeah. So for you to find out at 17 that you're clearly unwed and pregnant, there's going to be a lot of shade thrown in your direction. So yeah, you related a lot to this woman at the well. Yeah. And by the time I read this story, I've, I've gone through a lot. By the time I get an encounter with Jesus, um, I had been married, you know, I had been divorced. I had multiple times gone to the well of men to get fulfillment and that wasn't satisfying. I've went to the well of, you know, uh, self-improvement and that wasn't satisfying. I went to the well of, partying and that wasn't satisfying and so I was I was weary of going to the well and and even uh, multiple other religions you tried as well yeah please everything to try to find this self-actualized better version of myself um yeah I was on a quest and I was exploring so that I could find a well that satisfied and um, I needed Jesus's living water and didn't know it. <laughs> and so we have this this woman sitting at a well that is rejected by society. Yeah. But what we mentioned that we we wanted to to reference verses three and four. Yeah. Yeah. Especially verse four, but verse three reads that he leaves he meaning Jesus leaves Judea, and as as Deb mentioned. This was not the quickest route. Right. <laughs> this was going out of the way to, to go and see Samaria and, and see this woman at the well. No, I mean, it was a direct route to get to where he needed to go, but none of the other Jews would ever take it. Right. Yeah. They, yeah. they did not want anything to do with it. They, excuse me, yeah, I misspoke. They, they would typically go around it and take mm-hmm. a much longer route. Mm-hmm. This was the faster route, but it was the, the, the road less traveled. Yeah, and it was dangerous, too, because yes. of the hatred. There were, you know, opportunities to be robbed or killed or maimed. Um, you know, it was a dangerous route, to yeah. say the least. But what, what's interesting, we, we've mentioned that this woman is approaching a well, but, but the fascinating part are verses 3 and 4, where it says, He, Jesus left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Mm-hmm. And and part of the punchline is verse 4 that reads, and he must go. He needs to go through Samaria. Yeah. He needs to go. Why? Because he has a divine appointment yep. with this woman that is full of shame, 
that does not see herself as worthy. Right. That has been rejected. Over and over. By men, by women, Mm -hmm. by cultures. Every angle she could turn, she was rejected. Yeah. And Jesus says, I I must go. go. I, I must go through Samaria and he even sends his disciples on to, to get something to eat so that he can have that one-on-one divine appointment with this woman. Amazing to me. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And, and so she, she is sitting here at Jacob's well. Well, the thing is she's, she's walking up to do something very mundane and very yes. daily. And, and the fact that Jesus meets us in our unexpected mundane moments of life to me speaks like wonders to my heart. He's not necessarily meeting her at a temple or at a religious event or a festival. He is meeting her at the most basic place she could be met at her day. You know, in her day, that was the most basic place. That chore was done every single day because you had to drink water, you know, and that's where he meets her. And I love that. And and I'll often compare Christianity to a marathon because life is mundane. I I don't know who said it, but the saying is the problem with life is it's so daily. (laughs) Yeah. And and this is a woman that's absolutely worn out. You and I, we, we often talk and joke about people were just built different back then. Oh, weren't they though, man? Compared to what we go through today, think about how water weighs eight pounds per gallon. Mm. How much water do you need to drink and use in a day to survive and multiply that? Let's say it's... I love when you geek out on the math. I love it. Let's say it's three gallons. Okay. Okay. You're drinking two gallons and you got a gallon to wash okay. clothes. Yeah, wouldn't not wash clothes, but wash whatever. Yeah. What do you think those water pots weighed? That's 50 pounds in water plus your clay. Yep, plus the big giant wood thing across her back. I mean, yeah. yeah. This, We're looking at 70 pounds. At least. Jeez. And it's it's that mundane. And and you you mentioned a word earlier that is so true, especially of this post-COVID era, I think a lot of people are are extremely weary. Yeah. And this weary woman mm-hmm. walks up to a well and finds what's interesting is she finds a weary Jesus. Mm-hmm. Basically, it, it's estimated that he walked for six hours to get to that well. Can you imagine can, yeah. <laughs> Again, if the average person walks two and a half miles per hour and he just walks six miles, you're looking at 15 miles. Six hours. Was it, oh, yes, yeah. six, six hours, excuse me. 15 to 18 miles if he was walking quickly, who, who knows? Yeah. But you're, you're talking about the God that created the universe that came down to the level of being weary. Yes. To meet a woman in her weariness, he came down mm. to our level. Our, our mentor um, at, at Calvary Fort Lauderdale, I don't even think he necessarily came up with a statement, but he often references it, that for God to come down to a man, you can't even compare it to a man becoming an ant. It is so far beyond that comparison. Yeah, it, It's mind-blowing. And, and here's Jesus weary from a six hour walk mm-hmm. in the sun in the heat of the day wearing a tunic mm-hmm. it's not like he had board shorts you know and he didn't have one of those misting fans he he, he and he probably he didn't was have carrying. a man bun he, he didn't have a man bun <laughs> he, he probably had a backpack something that he was carrying as well and he's sitting there exhausted at a well waiting for this woman yeah yeah, that he can, he is a high priest that can empathize with every part of our humanity down to being tired, down to being thirsty, down to being misunderstood, you know, all of it. And in verse seven, 
what's ironic is this woman walks up to the well and Jesus, who is the living water, asks her for a drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that had to have been staggering to this woman for a lot of the reasons that we talked about yeah. earlier on the show. Why would a Jewish man talk to me? Right. Why, why would he even look at me? Right. And to drink from something of hers in that belief system, he was ceremonially unclean. That's how they believed. Drinking from her water um, cup would have made him unclean in that culture, in that belief system of like mosaic law. And that's remarkable that she's probably blown away that he would want to drink from her. Yeah, I mean, it even talks about it. I think it's verse yeah, verse 9. Read it. She even says, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Mm-hmm. They want nothing to do with us. So why mm-hmm. are you here asking me? For water, you a Jewish man, right? Um, and and it's it's amazing because this is where I mean, just the fact that Jesus went to Samaria was breaking a boundary. Mm-hmm. So before the conversation even happens, before this woman even knows that she's sitting there at a divine appointment, right? Jesus is already breaking barriers. Yeah. You know, one of the taglines for The Chosen is get used to different. Mm-hmm. And it's a great tagline because Jesus was different. Oh, yeah, in every way. And this is just another example where he's sitting there asking her for water. Mm-hmm. And Jesus gives her an answer, and he identifies himself as the living water. Now... Yeah. You know, this is where I have to just imagine what's happening. This is, you know, you're trying to put color to to a black and white picture. She's had five husbands. She's living with a sixth man having sex with him. Right. And here's a man sitting across from her going, hey, baby, I'm the living water. Does she roll her eyes? Like, what What would you do? I mean, there was I no hey, to, baby. Okay, so maybe Jesus <laughs> didn't have a game like I got game. But oh, you got game. That's funny. I, I got you, didn't I? You did, though. You're so right. you must have some game. You're right. You're right. Yeah, darn right I'm right. <laughs> if, if, if you, with, with all of, you know, with all of your history of right. men, prior to me, if I had just walked up to you when you were getting... You know, doing the mundane daily things. And I said, Hey, um, the greatest thing I would have been like, yeah, here we go again. Another man telling me, making me promises, telling me something that how can I ever believe this to be true? And that may be what went through her mind. I mean, if I step into her shoes and in my own life experience, I would have looked at that and been like, okay, here we go. So, so as uh, a, a woman that had multiple marriages before me. What right. were the, and, and, and you often talk about how you want to break cycles. I do desperately. So going back to being trapped in the cycle, right? What were the promises that men would make to you all the time? Oh, how about the, I'll love you forever promise. That didn't happen. Um, I'll be faithful, you know, Monogamy was a promise in every one of those relationships. That didn't happen. Um, Being protector. Uh, Yeah, when it was convenient or it was easy, they were protectors when they can show off their ego, but they didn't protect. They didn't protect my heart. You may make sure the doors are locked at night, but you don't protect my heart. So, yeah, I had a lot of promises poured out, um, you know, and I was told a lot of things that I, they thought I wanted to hear. You know, I want to love your son like he's my own. How about that? How about that promise? And so as these, I'll call them promises for now. As these promises are being thrown at you, do you get wiser? Do you get more skeptical as you? Oh, sure. As these men fall by the wayside. Sure. So what is I mean, you met me. I was very skeptical. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what? What changes for you? What does that evolution look like? Because this woman 
had more than double the number of marriages that you had. So, right. so help me understand you as my wife, just what was happening inside of you? Because you've done uh, the Trees of Hope. You've done all sorts of programs to undo a mm-hmm. lot of these things that happened to you. Right. But let's go back so that we can and I can appreciate this woman more. Okay. I have an encounter with Jesus like this woman does. So talk to me about that. Similar to this woman, I am I am trapped in a same shame cycle that I can't get out of. I am broken and rejected and sad and angry. And I really don't have a whole lot of hope in humanity at this point. I don't even like myself. Let alone men. Yeah, especially men. I didn't like them. <laughs> and um, I meet Jesus in this encounter where... You know, if you listen to season one, on the heels of a a drunken binge, the living God speaks to me in a hangover, like of all places. And this is exactly how he meets this woman. She is at her lowest and he, he makes himself known to her. And it wasn't as if Jesus said to me, you know what, Deb, go get yourself cleaned up, go fix all the mentality you have towards men, stop, you know, partying and drinking and and stop chasing after false gods. And then once you're cleaned up, you come to me and we'll talk. That's not the God I encountered. And that's not the God she encounters. And I think what really sets me in a position of awe and worship every time I enter this story, it doesn't get old because I feel like this is Every salvation story has an element of this where God meets you where you are and invites you into fellowship, Um, never saying that you can stay exactly the way you are in that fellowship, but the invitation comes just as you are, broken, alone, sad, and invites you to know him and to drink of his living water And that encounter changed my life radically, just like it changed this woman's life. I mean, she, here she was this woman that avoided everybody. And by the end of the story, she's running off to say, I met the man that told me everything I ever did. So there goes the shame. I mean, she's literally saying, I know I'm an adulteress. I know he knows too. He knows everything about me. I think he's the Messiah. And he came out of his way to meet me to meet me yeah i didn't have to go anywhere i could keep doing the same mundane thing yeah and that that what's one of the patterns that's throughout the bible is people that meet jesus they're always busy doing something that's a good point peter fishing busy fishing matthew was busy collecting taxes saul was busy persecuting murdering Christians. They didn't even have to be doing the right thing. Right. And Jesus came to them. Yeah. And and that's what's so amazing. And one of the, the words that you'll often use in, in one of the things that as a husband, I'm still trying to learn with you is, is tenderness Mm. because the, the tone and the manner that you speak, I, when I read the red letter words in John chapter four, you have to imagine the level of tenderness that Jesus is speaking to this woman, because I can look at you, maybe you're, you're struggling with something. I could go, Deb, relax. Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> you see the look I just gave you across the microphone? This, I'm not telling you. I, I would I would never say that to you, mm-hmm. Deb. I would say, hey, Deb, let's let's take a deep breath yeah. and and let's relax together um, and and let's process what's happening, wh- whatever it may be. But that that tone, that word, relax, can be triggering or it can be life giving. Hey, you are in a safe place, so let's relax. And in verse 10, uh, right after she basically says, Hey, why is a Jewish man? Why are you talking to me? 
I'm, I'm reading right now from the New International Version. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. What is his tone? She's weary. He is weary. He knows he's at a divine appointment for someone that roughly 15 verses later is going to be running to town. Yep. What is his tone? It had to have been so patient and so tender. And that's where, as Christians, we have to be so sensitive to that. I know. And the number one reason why someone is a Christian uh, is a Christian is because they met a Christian. And the number one reason why someone's not a Christian is because they met a Christian. And I think a lot of times the difference between those two is tone. God, that's very true. Is your tone judgmental? Right. Or is it asking questions and being tender? Because every one of us is broken. The last thing we need is someone walking in on a soapbox, pointing out our brokenness to us and going, you need to repent. Yeah. <laughs> the, the time of the Lord is nigh. That, that I'm sure somewhere that has caused conversion, but it, it's going to be that love and that compassion. And, and one of the things that we were talking about the movie Jesus Revolution, what they, what I felt, felt they did that was so great mm-hmm. was address the differences between age groups and so on and so forth. They, they addressed it so tenderly. And what would happen if a transgender person walked up to you? Yeah. Are you going to be tender to them? Is it someone that just has an addiction that they cannot break away from. Are you going to talk to them as if you're superior or are you going to be tender with them? Because that makes a world of difference. I I would have loved to have heard Jesus's tone. I would have loved to have seen his eyes as he's looking at his daughter that is so broken and so weary when he's sitting there going, you understand I'm the living water? Yeah, I can imagine that that soft voice because even in the midst of my my conversion and my hungover state, he asked a question. Do you know you've lived by a church your whole life? It wasn't said with shame. It wasn't said with a feeling of, don't you know better? You've lived by a church your whole life. Get it together, Deb. It was like this question of, it was a redemptive question. Just like Jesus, you know, just like God in the garden. Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. It was a redemptive question. It was to bring um, bring us into fellowship. And that's yeah, what he did. A, yeah, it had nothing to do with location. Right. It had everything to do with the heart. Yeah. Adam, where are you? Right. Your heart has changed. Mm-hmm. He always asks amazing questions. And what, what's what's very interesting, verse 10, Jesus identifies himself as the living water. Yes. Prior to verse 10, the woman at the well, when she's talking to him, she calls him Jew. Right. And verse 10, it had to be such a tender deliverance of this that all of a sudden, verse 11, she shifts from calling him Jew to calling him sir. Right. So all of a sudden... That's a great observation. He's got her attention a little bit. Mm-hmm. She's probably still very skeptical. As I would have been. As any anyone would have been. Yeah. She's probably still very skeptical. And I think... When she starts off in 11 and then goes to verse 12, she's testing the waters, just like anyone who's been hurt is going to test the waters. She's, she th- I love how she throws up a wall. You, you, you talk mm-hmm. about throwing up. To me, at the, at the end of verse, what is it here? Uh, not the end, the middle of verse 11. We'll read all of verse 11 so we can get a gist for the <laughs> sure. audience. Verse 11 says, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Mm-hmm. I, 
to, to me, and again, there's no real way for us to know this because we weren't there, but I think for her saying this well is deep, I think she's talking about herself and she's throwing up a wall going, that's a good point. You, what are you doing here? Cause I've been there, done that. Mm-hmm. And I seen a lot of tricks. So my well is deep. What are you up to? Right. It's very interesting that maybe she wasn't. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But maybe, but maybe you're not. And maybe that is about like the well is a picture of the pit that she's in. The well is deep. I'm yeah. in a pit. And then the next question really speaks to my heart. It's, um, are you greater than our father Jacob? Which is, you know, which gave us this well and drank himself and his children and his cattle. And when you know the story of Jacob, Jacob meets, you know, these two women, Leah and Rachel, and um, gets tricked into marrying Leah, the other sister. He loved Rachel, and he didn't love Leah. And I think the heart of her question is, can you love the unlovely? Are you greater than Jacob? Because Jacob couldn't love the unlovely. Leah was described as unlovely. Um, which was a very nice way of, you know, saying maybe she wasn't as attractive as her sister, or maybe she didn't have the qualities Jacob was looking for. But here it is, this woman has been rejected by man after man after man. And Jacob is that picture of rejecting Leah. And she feels like Leah. I mean, I would feel like Leah. I don't, I think that's the gist of this question. You know, are you greater than our father, Jacob? Jacob couldn't love the unlovely. Can you love the unlovely? Um, yeah, so she's testing the waters. She's testing the waters. Are you greater than? And you will see like all through the book of Hebrews, you know, the description of Jesus is greater than Jesus is greater than, you know, greater than the angels, greater than Moses, greater than, you know, all these patriarchs, um, because he is. And I think this is the first question that comes out is like, Hey, are you, are you capable of loving the unlovely, because that's who I am. And and Jesus's response is is spot on. You know, it, it he goes back to hey, the well that you're drinking from right now, you're gonna get thirsty again. But when you come to me, you will never thirst again. Yeah. And he just reiterates what he had just moments ago said. Yeah. Um. And so, again, she moves into the sir. Mm-hmm. She's now, again, addressing him as sir. So her respect has changed. Um, and then then he says, the, you know, it, it's one of those things, if you've ever read the book Tacti- Tactics, mm. uh, it's all about asking questions to get people to put their assumptions on the table. And then you address the assumptions here. Jesus almost gets her to put an assumption on the table, on the table, an assumption on the table. He says, go back and, and bring your husband. And the shame has to come roaring back Mm -hmm. because she's living and sleeping with a guy that's not her husband. Yep. So all of a sudden does her body posture change? You know, the previous to this, maybe she started to perk up a little bit mm-hmm. because of the tenderness. Right. Because Jesus was slowly picking off some of that shame. And then he asked the question to almost bring that shame back. Well, to let her, I think I look at it as to let her know, I see you for who you are. There's nothing you can hide from me. And I'm still sitting at this well. I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. And I think that is the most amazing part of a relationship with the Lord is he sees the things you don't want anyone to see, the things you hide deep within your soul, the bad thoughts, the, the sins, and, he, and he's still here and he's still inviting you into relationship. And I think that's what radically rocks her world. And in, in my opinion, I think him saying, hey, why don't you go call your husband? Like he's not running from the fact that he knows she's an adulterer. Everyone else in that culture would have like spit on her. She was a, she was an unclean woman 
And yet he is still sitting at that well, conversing, spending time, building relationship, inviting her into the kingdom of God. And, and what I have to pump the brakes on is just go, she's at the well in the afternoon mm-hmm. because everybody knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Here's a guy that in her mind doesn't know. Yeah. This is this guy thinks I'm, you know, just at a well because I'm thirsty. Right. And all of a sudden she has to now tell this person who she is and why she's there. So all that she she came in the midday to escape the shame. Right. And for a moment it was almost like she was. Mm-hmm. And Jesus places that in front of her and to your point isn't ashamed of her at right. all. That's what's so amazing. Yeah. Kind of makes me want to cry. <laughs> and she replies, I have no husband. Right. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. I, I knew that answer before I asked the question, right? The lawyerly thing to say. I knew the answer to the question before I asked the question. Mm-hmm. Um. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you have now is not your husband. This is from verse 18. Mm -hmm. What you have said is quite true. And again, verse 19, she starts with, sir. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, by verse 19, so first Jesus started off as a Jew in her eyes. Then he migrates over to sir. Mm Mm-hmm. But now she realizes that he he knew the answer to those questions. So by verse 19. He's prophet. He becomes prophet. So all of a sudden the respect on that scale is moving to the right, if you will. And think about that. Like instead of feeling like she wants to escape like she has with everybody else, he reveals everything about her and she doesn't want to escape. She's actually appreciating the being known for the first time and he's not running from her. He's standing firm in, well, we're sitting at the well, like he's not going anywhere. Every man has left her. I I knew what that felt like. Jesus isn't going anywhere. Like, I don't even like me, and you like me? You want to talk to me? Like, I can imagine how she must have felt, because I was baffled that the God of the universe would even utter anything in my direction. I was a mess. I literally didn't like who I saw in the mirror. And so many times, every single one of us struggles with sin, and, and every single one of us has a pattern that we all have to break. Mm-hmm. And it's so amazing that every time we fall back into that pattern, the, almost like the gut reaction is, I, I don't want to approach God and have a conversation with him. Right. It is that shame. Right. I can't believe I picked up that beer again. Mm-hmm. God, you have to be, I have to be wearing you out <laughs> because here we are again. Yeah. And, and so many times we, we run from God when we should be running too. Yeah. And I, and I've said that before in future, uh, future episodes, past episodes that there's really only two postures you take. You're either running away from God or you're running towards God when you've messed up. And the fact that he shows up tenderly makes me want to run towards him. Like, he is the one that gives rest. Come to me, all you are that are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the fact that he didn't say, get out of here. You're nothing but a, you know, an adulteress. Wow. That was your phone. Let's just admit it. That was my phone. <laughs> okay. We, we'll put that on airplane mode. But the fact that he comes to her... He stays when he knows all about her and doesn't reject her, had to have rocked her world. Because again, I read this story and it never gets old. I never feel like, oh, I've heard this story a bunch of times. I've been a Christian, you know, a decade and a half. Every time I read it, I feel this intimate connection with the God of the universe in a way that um, 
I'm completely undone and exposed, and yet he still loves me. Like, what love, who are you getting that from? You're not getting that from anybody. There's no one on the face of the globe that can love you like that. Not a one. And believe me, I went searching. (laughs) There isn't anyone. We love him because he first loved us. Yeah. When we were unlovable. For sure. When we didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Um, and, And again, for the creator of the universe to walk for six hours to become thirsty, to become weary Mm -hmm. in the heat of the sun, to meet a woman that was an absolute hot mess, as we would say today, (laughs) yeah, and go, you are my daughter. You understand how valuable you are to me. Yeah. With such a loving, tender voice. And in verse 21, he says, Actually, back up. Verse 19, 19, 20. She actually kind of has a good point here where she's basically saying that that we are not al- allowed to worship. Read the we're, verse, we're being, though. We're being prevented. Ver- verse 19 reads, uh, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Basically, we're not welcome at the temple. And she has a point. Yeah. Um, Her heart here is very genuine where she is, she she clearly knows that she's in sin and and so on and so forth. And she's sitting there bringing up a valid point of going, "I, I want to be welcomed. I want to repent. But I'm being told that I'm not allowed. I'm not invited. Right. This is, what am I supposed to do? And I think about that in in today's times. Like how how often I thought about going to church, but I was like, yeah, I, I, that church is going to go up in flames when I walk in. Like who is going to treat me with any kind of, they're just going to look down their nose at me. Like I had lots of assumptions about Christians and about what, because I was walking in shame, I assumed I was going to be treated like I was a dirty wreck because that's how I felt. And, um, you know, I had seen Christians behave in ways that I did not like my brother being one of them. And what I was met with is really what shifted my perspective. And and I invite all of us as Christians to be these kind of Christians for others is I walked into a church and was so genuinely welcomed, and hi, we're so happy that you're here. And I was waiting for some kind of bogus, like, hi, I'm so glad you're here. I don't mean to make fun of an accent in any way, but I just expected it to be phony, and it it really wasn't. It was so disarming. I'm like, where am I? People are actually nice here? It was so disarming. And... um I think that this is what it's all about is other Christians um, welcoming in people to come as they are. I mean, think about the Jesus revolution. We talked about that movie. You had hippies. Nobody thought these people were going to get saved. Like these were kids that were drinking and drugging and sleeping around free love. And Nor were they welcome in church. Right, truly. Right. Thank God for, they you wanted, know. They wanted to go to the temple or if they, I shouldn't say they wanted to, if they wanted to, yeah. they weren't welcome. Right. We have to be careful we don't do that today. A hundred percent. I'm absolutely guilty of that, of being judgmental, to being short, you know, being short with people, you know, and, and that's, that's tough. Yeah. That's, that's tough that you have to constantly humble yourself and carry your cross because you never know when the next Deb Marcellisi is going to be walking into church. And what is the tone that you talk to her with? Right. That's the question because you could either, either go from sir to Christ or the other way around. What direction? And and a lot of it's going to be based on tone. So judgment. Um, So continuing on in verse 21, um, Jesus basically, to, to paraphrase, he basically says, 
let's 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 create a new. Uh, I'm here to create something new, more or less, is what's what he's saying. Where a temple is is no longer where you're going to need to be. It, it's going to be a matter of the heart, right? In spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. So, no longer is the temple going to be required. No longer is a sacrifice and a priest going to be required to have contact with with the holy of holies. That that age is coming to an end. It hasn't quite hit yet. Um, but that is coming. That's mm-hmm. the promise that, that Jesus makes to her uh, in verses 21 through 24. Um, and this is when, again, her, her posture has to be changing because all of this shame, all of this, I'm not welcome in the temple. I'm a, I'm a woman. I'm, you know, a Samaritan. All of these walls that she puts up, Jesus is basically sitting there going, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. Mm-hmm. And he's breaking down every one of those walls. And she basically says in verse 25, um, I know that Messiah, when he comes in his name, will be called Christ. When he is to come, he will tell us all things. And in verse 26, Jesus says, I that speak unto you, I am he. I mean, wow. Just stop for a second and think about the cultural implications of this. Like, women's testimonies weren't even valid in court. And, like, women were so second-rate citizens that, like, the fact that he reveals that he is Messiah first to a woman is just, like... He breaks down every barrier you could possibly think of and says, you know what? I am him. He is announcing he is the great I am to this woman who is just like I was, just broken. I mean, to me, that is such a beautiful, honorable thing to give her that honor of like letting her know you're speaking to him. God God in flesh, you're speaking to him. And yeah, what what you were referring to earlier is that this is the first time or the first person that he reveals his public ministry to. Yeah, that, that's what you were yes, referring to public earlier ministry for, for for those that may not know what what Deb was Thank just you. mentioning. Um, it, this is the first time that Jesus introduces himself and makes his ministry public mm-hmm. and says, "Go and go and tell." Yeah. Go and go and tell of the conversation that happened here, and and she did. She changed. She absolutely changed. Um, and think about the testimony coming from her to this village that knew her as you know someone that would hide in the trenches and avoid people. Like she is so bold now. She oh, is like the her world has been turned upside down. It, it's Acts, the Book of Acts, before the Book of Acts gets yeah, that's there. That's a good point. Yeah. It, it, it's amazing. And, and in verse 29, she is shifted all the way where this man that she talked to as a Jew that became sir, that became a prophet in verse 29, she says, you have to be the Christ. Mm-hmm. So the shift in her life is, is complete. That light right. that we sang about as, as little kids in, in Bible school, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. She that was relit for her. Yeah. And she was going to go and she was going to tell everyone that this man knew everything I ever did. Yeah. The shame was gone. The chains were, were gone. And the fact that she left her water pot to go tell means that she knew she had living water. It wasn't like a theory. She knew I don't need anything. I have my living water. What a beautiful picture. Yeah. And, and another beautiful element to it was, as we know, or maybe you don't know, but the number seven in the Bible is the the number of completion. Well, she had five husbands. The man she was living with and sleeping with was the sixth. And here comes Jesus as number seven. Mm. And he is her forever husband. Oh, and he completes bride it of as Christ. number seven. Right. So, so many beautiful pictures. I think we need to break that down for people who may not be, you yeah, know, yeah, go ahead. bride of Christ. You know, that's what he calls us when we become his. Um, he is the bridegroom and we are the bride. So her becoming 
um, completely transformed by his love and becoming a Christian makes her a bride. And um, so that's the reference you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And 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 again, the, the name of this show is Detours. And this started out, this, this story of the woman at the well... It wasn't the woman that made the detour. She was in the mundane, as we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. It was Jesus that took the detour. Yes, it was the shortest route, but it was the road less traveled. And as we mentioned in verse number four, he had to take that route. He knew he had to go on that detour and go into Samaria and sit at that well. And he was alone. He sent his disciples off to go get food so that he could be there alone. That was the detour that God took. Mm-hmm. to go meet her and transform her. Hallelujah. I'm so glad he did it for me. <laughs> me too. I'm so glad he did it for me. Me too. But it, it it's the most amazing thing for me in this story is how, you know, on the seventh day God rested. That That wasn't because God was weary. He did that for man. And... Here, he became weary for hmm. us hmm. just so he could take that detour. The detour is what made him weary. Amen. And, you know, we're fresh out of season two. Yep. If you are weary for health reasons, you have a, you've had a sick child that has been battling cancer for years. If you are weary because you have an addiction, if you are weary because you're caught in cycles, mm-hmm. this is why we as Christians should live every single day like it's TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Thank goodness it's Friday because tomorrow is Saturday. College football is on all day. Sunday we get to go to church and then we get to eat chicken wings and watch football. Oh boy. And it's the best time is Friday. Mondays, ugh. I want nothing to do. (laughs) Why we should have joy when other people don't is because we have this hope. Yeah, we do. And if you are if you are weary because you've you're stuck in the mundane and life is so daily for you. Mm-hmm. Be encouraged because Jesus will absolutely get weary for you. Amen to that. And meet you in your weariness and he will talk to you tenderly Mm -hmm. and he will tell you that you're worthy and he will redeem and restore anything, any mess you create. Or if you have a sick child, you didn't create that mess. Right. You were handed a mess. Right. Doesn't matter. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's why we have this podcast. Yep. And that's why we titled it Detours. Is there, there, there are so many detours in our own lives and in the Bible through different characters that we're going to cover throughout the life of this podcast. My goodness, it's going to be an amazing ride. Amen. Any closing thoughts that you have on, on this? Is there anything that you go, oh, man, I didn't get a chance to say that. I wish I had the opportunity. I missed my chance. No, I don't think I missed my chance to say anything. I think uh, I think what we've talked about has been uh, very encouraging, uh, that you can come as you are, that Absolutely. Jesus sees you, and he's not running from you. Absolutely. And so we're, we're going to close out this episode with a little hint towards episode number two. Episode number two, we're going to actually do the very first woman at the well. Mm-hmm. This is not the first woman at the well right, in the that's Bible. True. We're not going to tell you if you know. Great, you're in, you're in the know. But if you don't know, there is yeah. a woman sitting at a well much much earlier in the Bible, and we are going to dissect that one. There's going to be a lot of parallels. Yes, there will be. 
But that's because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm-hmm. And we are often broken sitting in wells because <laughs> we just mess things up, don't we? We do. So, yeah, stay tuned for that episode. We will be back with that in a couple weeks. But thank you guys so much for listening. It has been a joy. Yes, it has. Uh, We will see you guys again in two weeks. Sounds great. Bye. Thanks for listening to Detours. For more content, you can find us on Spirit FM Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, or on our website at detours.life. To view my writings or to contact me for public speaking engagements, visit my website at debmarsalisi.com. Thank you.